Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series called Prayer, Power, and Wisdom, and we hope that this blesses you. If you're looking for more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org. If you would, please open your Bibles to Mark, to the Gospel of Mark in uh, the New Testament, and we're going to do a survey of the whole book this morning. So it's helpful if you have your Bible open and if you got your or your phone open or whatever it is you use these days. Uh, but uh, we're going to literally just do a flyover the book of Mark today to give you a sample for it. Um, Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring Good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It is, isn't it really, to have good news. We all love good news. The word good news there, you know, the the Old Testament was written, that Isaiah was originally written in, in Hebrew, and then it gets translated about 300 years before the time of Christ uh, into, the, um, into Greek, and uh, the Greek word that gets translated from, into good news is the word, it's the word gospel, euangelion. Uh, it means good news, and it's not just good news, any good news, it's good news that will change your life. See, there's a difference between that. Do you hear that? You know, the Red Sox won the World Series. Ah, that's good news. It's good news if you're a Red Sox fan. But it's not really life-changing news. But the good news that will change your life, like that's the God of the universe has, has focused all of his infinite power upon fixing the thing that ails you the most He stepped into this world. He became a man, and he's focused all of his infinite power on restoring you, on healing you, on forgiving you, on making you right with himself. Like, that's good news if we would receive it. Wouldn't you agree? And Mark wrote his whole book to communicate that message. And that's why we call it the gospel, according to Mark. Now, this fall... I plan on spending the whole fall, starting in September, all the way up to Christmas, um, we're going to be working through the book of Mark as a church. Uh, This morning, I just want to do like a flyover, and I started asking this question as I've been preparing for this series this fall, and, and that's this. If the Gospel of Mark is the only book of the Bible that I had to lead someone into a saving relationship with Jesus, like how would I do it? Because really, when Mark wrote, his writing was probably the only book of the Bible that his first audience had. If you think about it, he wrote in about 60 AD. He wrote to Romans, living in Rome. So they weren't Jewish people, they're Gentile people. And chances are very good that this little book, these these 16 chapters we call the Gospel of Mark, was essentially everything they had that would point them into a right relationship with Jesus. And so if that's what they've got, 
well, what does that look like? So that's kind of, that's what started me thinking, like, well, what would I, how would I use the gospel of Mark to lead someone into a saving relationship with Jesus? Does that make, is that fair? So that's what I wanted to answer today. How do we do that? So that's why we're going to fly through the whole book, um, but because it's devoted to this message, and plus it's a great way to cap off our summer series. We just finished this series, Prayer, Power, and Wisdom. And uh, now we're in the month of August. It's going to be a little bit of a, of a down month, a few different things going on. But uh, we just finished Prayer, Power, and Wisdom, which um, has been all about how we can bring God's blessing to the cities where we live. So, so think of this message now as equipping you with language to be able to share the greatest message in the history of the world. Is that fair? That's what we're trying to do. And, and I pray and I hope that, that not only will it give us the language, but I also pray that it gives us a deeper appreciation for what it is that we have. If you're a child of God, that what you have as a child of God, what has taken place in your life, do you know how miraculous that is? Do you, do you understand what a, a miracle has taken place in your life? If you're a child of God, do you get that? There aren't words to describe it. That, that the God of the universe would do what he did for us. How can you even begin? So Mark does his best, okay? And, and what I wanted to do was just walk through nine statements that's it. And we're obviously going to miss a lot of Mark, and that's, that's fine. We'll get more into it this fall. But hopefully these nine statements, I hope you see them as we put them together, that they lead us down a path towards a relationship with Jesus, towards trusting in what God has done for us to reclaim the innocence and the freedom that we lost when we sinned and fell away from him. And so here we start. Statement number one is this, that Jesus is the one we've been looking for. That's how Mark begins. I love it. He jumps right out of the gate. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Boom. Drop the mic, walk away. Like that's, you know, he doesn't waste time with a warm story to get you feeling good, and then he leads into it. like he's, There's no illustrations. It's just, bang, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, he says. In other words, Jesus is the one you have been looking for. And we are all looking for the Messiah, whether you know it or not. We might not use that language, Right? We might say it different ways, but the truth is, at our core, we're all looking for the one who can fix this mess that we're in. We know that we want answers. We know that we need help. We, we all want somebody to do something about the brokenness in our world. And religion promises to make us better people, but we're still screwed up, aren't we? And, and politicians always promise us the moon, and they fail us every time, don't they? And educators promise enlightenment, and we end up more confused. And entertainers promise us relief, and we end up just more broke. And relationships promise us fulfillment, 
But relationships are so hard and there's always a lot of conflict. <laughs> Everything we seem to try to, to, to solve this thing doesn't work. And on and on we go. We're looking, looking, looking. And so Mark begins his writing by simply saying this. Hey, gang, Jesus is the one you've been looking for. He is the Messiah. Okay, statement number two. Now, Jesus is different than anything you've tried before. And that's what he says here in verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark records Jesus' first sermon. Remember, he doesn't, I, I love that about Mark. He doesn't waste time with a lot of fluff. He just jumps right in. So he doesn't give us any backstory on Jesus, and there's no, there's no sheep and cows and angels singing and shepherds. There's none of that in Mark. It's just Jesus is here. He's doing it. He's working for you and me. And he starts with his first sermon, verse 15. The time has come, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. The Greek word is metanoia. means change your thinking. Change the way you think. Why, why do I need to change the way that I think? Well, because Jesus is totally different than anything I've tried before. I, knowing Jesus is going to require that I, I kind of shift the way that I think. See, everything I've tried before um, hasn't worked. So I don't just need a new idea. I need a whole new way of looking at things. See, we know that something is horribly broken, but so far none of our solutions have worked, have they? Why? Because our solutions are material. We're trying to solve a spiritual problem with material solutions. And they don't, it doesn't work. Let me just give you an example. You know, we think, we, th we the, the social justice movement. There's a classic one. I'm old enough to remember uh, the previous social justice movement. There was one back in the 70s, if any of you remember that. It gave rise to modern ecumenicism, and uh, it brought a lot of division in the church, as has this one. And, and if you notice that, that our attempts in social justice is that the social justice movement is basically this. It's an attempt to get the benefits of God's kingdom without God. That's what it is. Because the only way we're going to really know equity and justice and, and freedom and innocence and all those things that we want, the only way you're going to know that is in a right relationship with God. As a matter of fact, the reason why we don't have it is because we've broken from our relationship with God. See? And so, so any of our attempts to try to fix it without God are just going to create more division and more oppression and more trouble. Why? Because we're, we're, we're trying to meet it without him, because we're trying to meet a physical, a spiritual issue in a material way with a material solution, and it doesn't work. Take gun violence. I mean, here's another one, right? People think more laws will fix it, but they don't, do they? Perhaps this, the issue is a spiritual one. Perhaps, perhaps the, the spiritual brokenness in our souls is what's leading to the violence and more laws don't actually solve that problem. See what I mean? 
So Jesus steps in on the scene and he says, hey, repent and believe the good news. In other words, change the way you're thinking. I have another solution for you. And it's, it's unlike any other solution you've come up with to date. And so in order for you to receive the, the salvation that I'm bringing to you, Jesus says, you've got to change the way you're thinking. Statement number three, Jesus is not religion, he's relationship, and he's a reason to live. That's verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus is walking along the shoreline, and he comes across a couple of guys fishing, and he says to them, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, he says. Come follow me, he says. Let's be clear. Religion is not the good news. Religion is actually a part of our problem. We need to acknowledge that. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Religion is what is, it's one of the many lame duck things that we've come up with to try to solve the problem. Do you see that? And, and it's created more problems, hasn't it? But Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Look at what Jesus did. He made a simple invitation. Follow me. Hey, you guys, follow me. Think about this. Who does this? Could you picture yourself walking into Target this week and going, hey, uh, fellow shoppers, follow me, follow me. Like, that's just crazy. That's audacious. Who's, who would do that? Well, I, think, I can only think of a couple of reasons why somebody would actually stake the claim to, hey, follow me. Like, one is, you're nuts, and we're just going to, you know, chalk, chalk it up to that. Number two, number two is maybe, maybe the building's about to explode, and you know a fast way out of Target or something, so you're like, hey, follow me. That's what's best for you. Maybe. Or maybe the person who is inviting me to follow him is so magnanimous, so breathtakingly awesome, that if I follow him, it'll change my life. And he knows it. And he knows it, and he doesn't apologize for it, and he makes the claim, follow me. That's something. Why would Jesus do that? Well, because he's the Messiah. Go back to the first statement. He's the one you've been looking for. And so he acts like the one you've been looking for. Hey, come follow me. I'll, I'll take you there. And then not only does he do, not only does he invite us to follow him, but notice he gives us a whole new reason for living. You see that? I'll teach you how to fish for men. These guys have been fishing for fish. And now Jesus says, I'm going to give you a whole new reason for living. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to, I'm going to give your life a whole fresh new purpose, a whole fresh new direction, a whole new meaning in your life. That's the promise that Jesus makes to them as they follow him. That's astounding. You come to statement number four, Mark chapter two, Jesus loves all of you. He loves your soul, your spirit, and your body. I love this one. Mark chapter 2, it's the story of Jesus teaching in the house, and some friends bring their paralyzed friend, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they drop him through the roof right in front there, and they interrupt Jesus's sermon. Probably a great sermon, too, I'm sure of it. Dropped right down in the middle of that, they interrupt the whole sermon. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, he sees the paralyzed man, and he says, um, your sins are forgiven. Now stop right there. Again, 
Who does that? Who does that? Can you imagine walking up to somebody just saying, hey, uh, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. I forgive you. You're forgiven. So well, why, why would I do that? Like, if, if I'm not a part of that problem, why would I have the, why would I be able to forgive you, right? Who says your sins are forgiven? Only the one who's been offended. And who's the one who's been offended? God. And so Jesus, in claiming to forgive this man's sins, is claiming to be, God, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. But not only does he doesn't stop there, Jesus continues, and he, he says, you know, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, why don't you take your mat, buddy, and go home? And the guy does. He picks up his mat and walks right out the door. Everybody's got their chins on the floor. They're shocked by all this. And you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus says, I'm loving the whole person. I'll, I'll love your spirit. I'll forgive your sin. I'll love your body. I'll heal your body. I'll love your soul. I'll heal your emotions. I'll give you a whole fresh lease on life. Jesus loves all of you. You know, you have that friend who, um, who you get the impression like they only call you when they need something. You know that kind of friend. You think, you think oh, it's only, you know, if I didn't have a truck, I don't think they would be my friend, right? Because they only call me when they need my truck, right? You know that kind of person. We all have that kind of friend. Friend, I say in parentheses, right? Jesus is not that kind of friend. Jesus loves you for you. He loves all of you, your body, your spirit, your soul. The fifth statement, Jesus' salvation that he brings is actually available to anyone who wants it. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And in the context of Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling two stories. He's telling a story about scattering seed, and he's telling a story about light and lighting up a room. And seed and light are common in the sense that they're indiscriminate as to who they go to, right? The seed was scattered. It went on the ground. It went, some of it was hard, some of it was soft, some of it was rocky, some of it was weedy, but it went to all of it. And the same with light. The light is blessing everybody in this room right now, see? And that's what he says about his gift of salvation. It's an offer available to anyone. And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, if you got the ears to hear, it's available to you. It's yours. You can have it. What does Jesus save us from? This is statement number six. Sin is actually our real problem, and only Jesus can fix it. In another scene, Mark chapter 7, verse 23, in another scene, uh, Jesus is being criticized by religious guys. Check this out. Ready? Because he didn't wash his hands right. You say, well, how petty is that? These guys are literally, they're literally criticizing Jesus because he didn't wash his hands the right way. Like, the silliness of, aren't there bigger fish to fry? And yet, that's what these guys are complaining about? Yeah, that's the point. They were being extremely petty. And Jesus, rather than accuse them of pettiness, Jesus uses the opportunity to teach a really valuable lesson about what really makes us dirty. 
And Jesus says this in chapter 7, verse 23, all of these evils, he says, they come from inside and they defile a person. In other words, it's not the dirt outside that makes me dirty. It's the dirt inside. All of us have dirt inside. See, that my out, the world around me is actually a reflection of what's wrong inside me. See, the broken world says that there's broken people. The world's broken because we're broken. Do you follow that logic? That's, that's what Jesus is teaching us. That the, that the sins, that the real problem, the defilement, it's, it's not the few germs I might get on my hands. It's, it's here. It's inside my heart. And this, is, and this right here is what needs to be addressed. See, my heart is actually the source of all the evil that's in the world. That's why there's no such thing as a good person. Biblically speaking, I know we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that because we want everybody to be good people, but that's not biblical. The, 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 the biblical record says that the sin, the defilement, the, the, the brokenness, that all of that is inside the human soul. The, the, the truth is you, you see somebody that commits some terrible act of violence or some terrible thing that they do, and the reality, friend, is that could be you. It could be you easily. You have that potential inside you as well. And, and it's really easy to wag our fingers and say, oh, tsk, tsk, look at those bad people over there, without realizing that the same evil lives in my heart. And there's nothing I can do to change that in my own strength. I can't fix that problem. That's what Mark chapter 7 is saying. And Jesus says only he has the ability to get into that inner place in your heart and mind and change it. See, this is where belief systems like socialism and communism and Marxism, like that's where they get it all wrong because their premise is flawed. See, their premise is that mankind is basically good. And, and if, you, if you fix society... And if you just let the government have enough control and power, see, and even everything out, that now everybody will get along. But their premise is that we're all basically good. It's a flawed premise. Because the truth is, the reality is, we're not basically good. Evil dwells in my heart and your heart. See? And, and no, no amount of laws and you know, fixing things out here is going to fix this. This has to get fixed first, Jesus says. And Jesus is the only one who has the ability to get into the heart and actually fix it. We're like, we're like this broken down car. I was just laughing, thinking about this this week, a fun memory. Years ago, we had this guy in our, in our youth group back in Pennsylvania where Karis and I were serving him. And uh, John Lewis, his name was John Lewis. And John was, he was a funny kid. And, uh, and you know, 16-year-old boy. And somebody, somehow, I don't remember, he got his hands on an old jalopy car. And he's, you know, 16. And right, I mean, as a boy, he was just, he was over the moon about this car, right? The problem is the car didn't run. But so, some, so somebody must have given it to him or something. So he's got this beat-up jalopy car. And the first thing that John fixed on this car when he got it was the stereo. 
And I thought, it, I just laughed at that. I thought, John, okay, so you're not going anywhere, but you're playing great tunes in your front yard, right? This, this doesn't, it's just kind of silly that you, you're, the car's not running, John, but it sounds good, right? He's got a kicking stereo in the back, but the car's going nowhere. I think we're doing that a lot these days. The car's broken. It ain't going nowhere. But yet we keep turning up the sound. And as long as the sound is nice, as long as, you know, as long as I can post the right things and say the right stuff and all look the right way, now, now I'm good. But, but the, car's a gel- the car is broken. We're not going anywhere. And Jesus says, I have come and I can actually fix the car. That's the promise that he makes to you and me. Statement number seven is sin is such a big problem that it required God to die in order to fix it. This is how serious my sin problem is. Three different times, at least, in the book of Mark. Jesus, in in Mark chapter 8, 31, chapter 9, 31, chapter 10, 34, Jesus says this statement, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus repeatedly predicted his death. He repeatedly announced that he has come to die And the reason why he came to die was to pay for our sins. See, if our problem was political, then Jesus certainly had the power to overthrow the government. Don't you think? He he stopped a storm just by telling it to chill out. So I I think Jesus had it within him to to defeat the Romans and like overthrow the government. And if if our greatest problem was societal, then Jesus definitely had the power to level the playing field, to bring down the oppressor, to raise up the oppressed. Like he definitely could have done that. Don't you agree? He had the power to do that. And and if our but our problem is much deeper than that, isn't it? It's more insidious. And our problem is sin, and that sin is so bad that literally the only solution is for God to die in order to fix it. That means that it's totally silly for you or me to think that we could be good enough to go to heaven. Isn't that craziness? If, if, my, problem, if, if my problem is so big, if my sins are so bad that they required the death of God to solve them, then for me to think that I can be a better Boy Scout and that's going to get me to heaven, that's just absurd. You say, Jesus' death is necessary, it's needed, which brings us to statement number eight. Jesus' life was not taken from him, it was given. He gave it. The central verse, and we're going to be memorizing this verse this fall, so you can start now if you want to. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, says that, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom in the Greek, which Mark is writing in, is the word lutron. And it it refers to paying off the debt of a slave, specifically. You know, in the Roman Empire, most of the slaves were enslaved because of debt. They couldn't pay certain debts. They got in over their heads, and so they agreed to work for, they had to work for the person that they owed money to, and that's how they became enslaved. And so the lutron, the word lutron, refers to that payment 
that finally wipes out that debt and buys the freedom for that slave, you see? Can you imagine how awesome that must have felt to have that debt paid? And Jesus says, I have come to be the ransom for many. Jesus is paying our debt. You see, our sin created a debt. Our sin got us enslaved to Satan himself. And Jesus came and he paid the debt, setting us free. And he gave that to us. It wasn't taken from him. He did it for us. You hear that? Very different. Very important. So my, so, so my, 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 my problem is sin, and it's not a problem that I can fix. And it's so big that it requires God to die for it. And then God of his own free will chose to come here to planet Earth to apply his infinite powers to fix that problem for you and for me. That's gospel. That's good news. If you'll receive it. That'll change your life if you'll receive it. And that's how it ends. Mark, the statement number nine. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So believing in Jesus will change your life. Believing in Jesus is more than intellectually acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior. You know, a lot of people can do that. Um, it's more than saying words. Believing is about doing something. If I believe something, I trust in it. I, it actually changes how I behave. You know that? Like if I say to you, if I say, yeah, I really believe that, that Tylenol, you know, that fixes headaches, man. Tylenol is the best stuff. When you got a headache, get, take a Tylenol. But then I've got a raging headache, and you go, hey, you want some Tylenol? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not doing the Tylenol. Like, do I really believe then that Tylenol helps me with headaches? Not really, because I'm not applying it, am I? If I believe it, I actually trust in it, and, and it changes the way I behave. Like, I behave accordingly, see? So to say that I believe that Jesus is the solution to my sin problem means then that I've actually placed my trust in that, and I've got no other plan. I'm in with him. I'm all his. I believe him. I receive him. This is what he's saying. Um, last couple weeks ago, Karis and I had the chance to be at, um, at our son's and daughter-in-law's uh, church. You know, got to worship with them. And, and their pastor gave this illustration. Um, and I really liked it. And I thought, let's, let's use that here today. Because it just puts in a very cool way, like you could draw this, you can draw this on a napkin. It's that simple, right? And this really illustrates the gospel. It illustrates what we're saying right here. So it starts off with the first circle, starts off with God's design. God created us to have an intimate relationship with himself, to live in, in freedom and innocence, in right relationship with him, right relationship with one another, right relationship with the world around us. Like this is God's design. And it was our sin that, that broke that design. See, our sin was when Adam and Eve decided that we would pursue the knowledge of good and evil apart from a relationship with God. And so we made that decision. We, start our, we went our own way. This has led to brokenness. And I, I love how the brokenness is illustrated with the different squiggly arrows going different directions. Isn't that a great picture for us? 
Everybody is going his own way. Everybody's doing his own thing. And none of the things that we're doing actually works. So brokenness, shattered, divided, split apart. And this is what we feel in our souls. We know something's broken. And the Bible says the solution to that is Christ. That's what Mark is saying. Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. So if you repent and believe, that's the gospel. That brings you into this gospel. That will restore you. That will make you right. That's the solution. And then from the gospel, we go into God's design with recover and pursue. I'm recovering and I'm pursuing the design that God created for me. And isn't that really the Christian life? Like as you and I are walking in the Christian life and pursuing Christ and following him, it's a process, isn't it, of recovering and pursuing that design that God created us with. So that's, that's Christian growth. I love this picture. It's simple. You can draw it on a napkin. Hey, look, God loves us. He created us to be in a relationship my sin, your sin, is what broke it. And see, all the things that you and I feel, that's just brokenness caused by our sin. But Jesus is the solution. If I repent from my sin and I believe in Jesus, that actually will, that, that actually will God will forgive me and make me right with himself. And now I get to spend a lifetime pursuing him and living in recovery, as it were and recovering the design that God created me for. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.